Hello and welcome to the Gossip Stone podcast, where we will be talking about the Ocarina of Time randomizer, focusing primarily on the racing and the competitive scenes, and also talking about various other similar or related topics for the community as a whole. Introducing your host today, firstly, I'm Yoshikion. And I'm Emo Soto. And unfortunately, Riley is a bit under the weather today, so I'll just be the two of us with you. It'll be a nice, cozy podcast for you listeners today. Just uh, just the pair of us sitting on our cozy chairs by the, by the fire here. So why don't you join us? But anyway, today's episode is on metagaming. Um, but first, as always, we'll be talking about the weekly races from the past week, as well as the Season 3 tournament races uh, since the last episode. But before that one, a quick shout-out this week to 10th Doctor for editing a uh, bit of a change for our usual. Shadows passed on all the tools and tricks and is off exploring the world. So thank you, Doc, for stepping in, taking over, and taking care of all of this. Yeah, Shadow's busy exploring Middle-earth currently. But uh, our random recap for today uh, and the NA Weekly this past weekend. Uh, first place, Marco, 314.42. Good time, good player. Uh, the biggest troll here it required the full trade quest from Prescription, which was Way of the Hero to claim check for none other than Iron Boots. And you knew they were required because if you peaked it early, which is definitely a good thing to do, uh, we covered a little bit in the openers episode of the podcast, uh, looking at the Tektite Grotto as child in your three-song route. And down there... At the bottom, in the sunken hollow, was the boomerang. So you knew you needed that for a medallion jabu-jabu. So once you got the hint that... I forget what the area was, the prescription was. I think it was a castle way of the hero. So it wasn't even for the song. It was just for prescription. Because I'm pretty sure it was Prelude or Serenade that was there. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of funny to see. And... I had to see it a couple of days ago before this race happened. I played the NA this week um, where I was like 100% sure it's Prescription Way the Hero. Turns out I just missed a chest and it had hover boots in it. Whoops. But uh, it was cool to see that in this in this seed. Uh, Bomb Start and Mitos. It was all, also in all dungeons for Nocturne on Ocarina of Time. So it was pretty much a full clear for a lot of people. And it kind of explains the first place time if you're a Marco in uh, 314, like I said. Uh, the treasure chest game also had hovers, which was also a way of the hero uh, for market. And then the first hook shot was in the fire temple shortcut chest, and long shot was in Jabu of all places. So you had to do the trade quest for long shot that was in Jabu, and then also Dens was in the bottom of the well because why? Why isn't it? I, you know, a seed is bad when Marco isn't sub threeing. Nobody is sub three at this point. It's Okay, all dungeons, but a lot of people, like, people always say they like all dungeons as long as you know it early. You want that early hint that tells you, okay, you're doing all dungeons, just get everything, and that's fine. But, like, lens game, first hookshot in fire, like, there's so much wrong with this. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> it's really funny to play, because <laughs> I, I think... There was a high number of uh, forfeits, too. I think it was like a third of the field. And this was like a 50-58 player uh, race, I think, overall. So, yeah, it was like 20-ish forfeits or something crazy like that. And I think you just get like a medal for completing this stupid seed. But it's definitely better than, I think, what, the past weekend previous to this was two jet seeds or something like that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... I'd rather, much rather have this kind of seed personally, just because I have a lot of fun with the item placements. Uh, you get to work through the logic a little bit more. You get to play the game. But <laughs> uh, the EU weekly this week, uh, well, yeah, it was a jet seed. So kind it was of a like full the hour faster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Marco was in this one. He didn't win. That was the the biggest takeaway, I think. But. Uh, everything was pretty much on the way or at a very convenient spot. Uh, it was a bow start in Mitos, which isn't 
I think I don't know if it's a controversial start for Mido's. I, I think it's one of the best items you can find in Mido's personally, but I'm also an early adult player primarily. Um, anyway, uh, the ring was on the lower river heart piece. It would trip some people up. Um, and the only real exception to the convenient item spot and placements is the Din's Fire was also in Bomb of the Well. It was in the basement chest, so didn't even need Zelda's Lullaby for it. The, on the only things you actually needed Zelda's Lullaby for was the Death Mountain Trail Fairy for Letter, and then the Shadow Boat. That's it. Water Spirit and uh, Link's Pocket were the stones, so you had started with one stone. So you going in, I think a lot of pe people were... Um, really thinking that it was going to be like, you know, oh no, what, is, what if it's like yesterday's seed and kind of a disaster. And no, it was actually a really good one. Um, kind of funny that both weeklies had Den's Fire and Bomb of the Well, but uh, on the restream, actually, there were four different openers and that's always kind of cool to see. That's kind of crazy, actually. Yeah, I can't think of, I'm struggling to even think of four different openers right now. So I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Open Grotto Owl was one, because almost always is nowadays. It's picking up in popularity. Mm -hmm. um, one was Straight Market, three song. Uh, there was another one that was Valley Lake. I think Goomba did that. That was really surprising to see. And then I guess Early Deku was the other? Yep. Yeah. So kind of like the four openers that you would expect kind of to see overall amongst the field i think mm -hmm. and yeah a huge shout out there to uh x high is that i assume that's how it's pronounced correct as if we're wrong mm -hmm. um on winning that one someone who again like shows up quite a lot but i think it's their first weekly win i want to say mm. so. well two weeks ago they also won the EU weekly i'm pretty oh. sure Never mind. Then. That was their first <laughs> weekly win. So this is their second weekly win, which is really impressive, I think. You're crushing at the moment, then. Yeah. Also, hopefully, double bottom of the well, Din's Fire, puts an end to the idea that bottom of the well is bait. Like, no, bottom of yeah, the well is we... an amazing play, and this week just took a step improving that. Can we just... Yeah, let's just restore bottom of the well to its former glory, like... Let's just not call it Bomb of the Well. Let's just not call it Well. Let's just call it Double Chickens, because that's what it is. It's double the length of chickens, but you get how many more times checks? Like 12 than than chickens? So, like, I don't see how you can write 11, it off. 11 checks Bomb of the Well is, yeah. Sure, but, like, <laughs> 11 times, my bad. Yeah, in, like, four or five minutes. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. So, moving on from there, we go over to our Season 3 recap. Uh, three races to talk about this week. Starting off with Winner's Bracket Round 3. Number 4 seed What the Hell's Happened versus number 12 seed Engineer. I think a lot of us were really looking forward to this race. It did not disappoint. This was an absolute blast to watch. Like, this was wild. Both players started with Deku Tree into Early Adult. Engineer dipped into the ZL check along the way and picked up Minuet, but still that early adult start with Deku Tree. They start off really quickly. They get uh, Forest Water and Spirit Medallions really fast, just like Deku Tree, DC, whatever, pick up a bunch of items. About an hour in, Engineer does chickens and gets the long shot. Goes straight off to water to... It's it's a medallion, you're going to want to do it anyway. What the hell's, meanwhile, finds a waterway of the hero hint. So they end up roughly the same sort of time, they're both in water. They both had terrible rooting and movement through water. Like, I, I cannot emphasize enough how funny this was. Like, both of them came into the interview afterwards and were just like, I don't want to talk about the water temple. What the hell's took a wrong path at one point and ended up near the, like, cracked floor that leads to a skull chiller behind a crystal switch. Um, engineer, both of them, actually, forgot to lower the water level or raise the water level. So they both tried to go to the, like, first ZL point while the water was at the middle level. And so they both ended up at the cracked wall and had to go back. Yeah, not Eventually, only that, but... They, they forgot to do that two times where they had it 
on the middle level and then they forgot about it and then they had it reset it back but then he also had either it was one of them i don't remember which exactly but one of them raised it from the bottom to the top so they even had to go to the bottom a separate time and then put it in the middle then that's when they forgot to put it from the middle to the top or they did that and without getting that cracked wall chest like it's like pretty much every mistake possible that you could imagine from the water temple routing one of them did it like it was kind of a disaster and the best part of all of it was it was way of the hero four first bomb bag on the dragon chest yeah. and they had more than enough chews by that point they didn't even have song of time the first time they were there i think engineer four dipped it like it was something crazy like that. Oh, it ended up going completely off, yeah. So the biggest difference at that stage was actually that what the hells did the lab dive on the way in, and Engineer didn't. And it's it's out of logic, fair enough, but it had strength too. Engineer went past this maybe two or three times before finally picking it up after going towards Jabu and Sora's domain. And by that point, it was just way too late. What the hell's had too much of a lead at that stage. Uh, Mirror Shield was vanilla. So as soon as you got the strength two, you, like that was pretty much their go mode by that point. Um, worth noting that throughout all of this, strength three was just sat in stone fire. So they could have gone to fire instead of lab dive, but... Yeah, it was very much en route, and what the hell's picked it up going through, and did take the win here, just under three hours, a 255.41 there. Yeah, a little bit above the average time for a lot of these seeds. That average time is like, what, 235, I want to say? It's like the kind of meme meme time that keeps appearing. Uh, Yeah, it's not too bad, though. Um, Can't remember if it was all dungeons or not. Um, I don't think it was. It was just a kind of messy seed Mm -hmm. yeah what the hells we'll move on to face marco in winner's bracket semi-finals at this point right not quite semi-finals uh it's the round before actually no that is winners winners semis oh yeah fuck um (laughs) where engineer will drop down to face off against cola in losers bracket so two really good matches coming up, and I think two grudge matches from season mm-hmm. two. Oh yeah, yeah. We both saw both of these matches, mirror matchups happen. Um, Marco, what the hell? Obviously, was in the grand finals last last season. So uh, lots kind of underwriting that match, and it all happened about what ten days from the time of recording. So. You know, a, a little over a week from when the episode comes mm-hmm. out this week. Um, and yeah, Cola, Cola, yeah, Cola took out Engineer last season as well. So, yeah, grudge matches all round. Can't wait to see him. All right, moving on then. So the other side of the winners bracket, we had Cariosa versus Roska Tyrant. Uh, this was a very linear seed past a point it started off with a bomb bag early on Cariosa took it to three song while Roscoe took to early adult there were little time losses early on I want to say so it looked like it was very slightly leaning one way or the other Cariosa didn't get a good warp song from the three song route but Roscoe did charge shooting before getting the temple of time hints which had a market baron um did Baron DC with the bomb bag, despite having chews. They both ended up in fire quite early, without strength, without the hover boots, and they had a hook shot but no scarecrow. Roska didn't have a bow. None of that mattered. They got through the whole thing, out of logic, they don't care. Get through the whole thing, little time losses, but little time losses on both sides. The biggest difference here, though, was that Roska went through Death Mountain Crater from Goron City, broke the rock by the fairy, and then jumped back down after getting the hookshot to go to fire. Cariosa jumped over from the fairy, got the hookshot in the wall, 
and then went round through Goron City to get back to fire. And the hint by Big Goron was that the Skull Mask had a magic meter. <laughs> so Cariosa got that hint, and Roska didn't. Cariosa also really pushed Skulls and got the hovers on 20. Is Kakway the hero in the seed? Uh, yeah, single way of the hero, I think, though. So... Yeah, 20 yeah. Skulls strikes again here. It was it was crazy to see, because Cariosa did a really... Like, the three-song route went into a long child, they had Sunsong early, could just get Sunsong to get all the Skulls on the way through, and ended up at 10 skulls before going adult um, using child cack and then mm -hmm. started going into dungeons and just picked up a whole bunch more skulls and before you know it it's hover boots on 20 yeah I mean it's not hard to get to 20 I think there's like a bit of a stigma to losing a bunch of time on skulls but if, if Kakariko is way of the hero and, and you can do kind of a long child segment that includes a knight um Kakariko, then 10 skulls is, is child's play. I mean, you can get five in forest, so if you know it's required, that's easy, it's free. And mm -hmm. you just need to get five? like Five in get... child cack. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. If you get that as part of your 10, oh, up right, to 10, right. um, getting to 20 from that point is super, super free. Um, mm -hmm. So you just Especially... need to get five after that. like with a starting sun song as well they got sun song from the zelda's lullaby check oh, yeah. and so it's like you pick up one in kakiri forest three in the deku tree it's just like they're so clear and on like the they're just like in your direct path mm -hmm. so as it was at that stage karyos is maybe 30 40 minutes ahead at least and suddenly it just became the most ridiculous chain i have seen in forever you got ruto's letter in shadow with zero strength upgrades, no ZL. But Jabu was Forest Medallion. So they go into Jabu, they get strength one in Jabu and Zelda's Lullaby on the prelude check. Ugh. That gets them Requiem in the Composer Grave and strength two is on the arch and GTG was Way of the Hero. So after getting Requiem, they re pick up the strength two on the arch, reverse to GTG, find the mirror shield at the back of the maze, that's go mode. It just wait, wait, wait. so they had to have scale and then letter from shadow to go to Jabu for strength and ZL. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're just taking that as like part of the chain. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, are you kidding? They me? couldn't. The best part was Roska nearly made up some time, it wasn't enough. But uh, Roska, in trying to clear up before checking 20 skulls, found Feroz Wind. So it could set yeah. Feroz at the bottom of Shadow, whereas Cariosa had to redo most of it because they had no strength to open the shortcut and no ZL oh to get across the boat. Oh my god. I, uh, it yeah. was... But by that point, you know, you'll take a two-dungeon lead over skipping half a dungeon. Um, and yeah, it did end up just... In a, in a really... This might be harsh to say, but... It ended up being one of the more one-sided races I've seen, just on the grounds that the routing worked out perfectly in Karyos' favour, and there were kind of little time losses or little slip-ups here and there, kind of on both sides, but I want to say a little more on Ruskers. And yeah, it just ended up really working out in Karyos' favour. Yeah, I would say it was noticeable from the little bit that I did watch. Uh, Ruska's movement execution just wasn't nearly up to par as Karyos's, even though they both had kind of mistakes. So it was a little, I don't know if it was tough to see, but uh, it's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Just wasn't his time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Karyos are winning there with a 237.56. And we'll move forwards to face the winner of Nephistos and Benuru in, Oof. yeah, winner semis. Meanwhile, uh, Roska's you know, waiting for a few matches down in loser's bracket there. And our last match for this week is a loser's bracket round two between Zev versus Namaha. Um, 28th versus 18th seed is... I don't know if it was contested or, you know, kind of coming into this match, like kind of 
what even the history between between the two players is here. But anyway, um, it was a 50 skull seed, just kind of straight up for mirror shield, and it was a medallion dungeon. So from pretty much pretty pretty early at least in the seed, uh, both players knew that they needed 50 skulls straight up. So. I want to say it was a, a seed of haves versus have-nots. And what I mean by that is Zev just keep <laughs> he just kept getting everything. I, I don't get it. Like, it, it was early explosive, so it led both players to do three-song. Okay. Hookshot and Longshot were also pretty early, found in Market and Lost Woods. All right. So then there was a Way of the Heroes scale at Lon Lon Ranch. And this is kind of where things went off the rails for Namaha. Um... Zef just followed it like as close as closely as he could, just checked everything that was remotely connected to scale. And it's not really that much in seeds, really. Um, all you can really do is go river and then you go to domain. So what he did is he went river. He found the boomerang at the river lower heart piece, but then also went to domain, just following it up. Uh, but he went through the river entrance, um, but knew that it wasn't accessible because he didn't have Zelda's lullaby at the time, I'm pretty sure. And there was also Strength 1 in, in Domain there. So finding Strength 1 and Boomerang before Namaha. Um, but what I really want to get at is that the, the openers between the two players uh, kind of plays into the main topic for this week of metagaming. Um, so Namaha did the South Hyrule because he found it early explosives in, in I think, Kakuri Forest. I think it was in the, the sword chest. Uh, so he cleared South Hyrule to Valley Lake and then to three song versus Zeph, which I think he did more of a conservative play, but something that you would kind of expect in a tournament setting. And he did open grotto to owl into three song. So I think Namaha doing that just to start off with was an incredible, like it was, I don't know if it was a good meta play, but it was definitely a very good example of metagaming. Um, and we'll get more into that in a little bit, but um, so Zev followed this item, uh, Rang and Strength. Uh, Namaha did not for a while. It didn't find him. Uh, so Crater was also way the hero in the seed. Uh, Letter was there, which, you know, Zeph just immediately did Jabu at that point because it was required. It was a medallion. Uh, Namaha missed both Jabu items at the time that Zeph went into Jabu. So already a dungeon ahead of Namaha here. Um also had a bunch of skulls efficiently routed this way for Zeph because he already had Boomerang. Uh, Namaha was also pretty steadily picking up uh, skulls here. But missing both those items earlier, um, Zeph just followed it up by finding Strength 2 and Fountain after doing Jabu Jabu and uh, the Fairy Fountain there. And Namaha didn't even have one Strength at that point. So really, it was just a case of Zeph had everything and Namaha just fell incredibly far behind mostly just due to not following the way of the heroes but um a pretty good example of metagaming um and again we'll get into that but the, the mirror shield was found at two hours and five minutes for zef and namaha didn't get it until two hours 35 minutes so kind of just falling super far behind i think at one point he was behind 20 skulls and one and a half dungeons or something at the peak so um, yeah, kind of hard to watch uh, once you get past the halfway point. But... And I guess this is one of those things that's kind of like partially a judgment call. Is you, If you see a way of the hero scale, that can either mean Zora's Domain or whatever, or the river locks your bomb bag, or it can mean eventually you'll have to do the Lake Kylia lab dive. And it might mm. just be that Zeph played towards one while Namaha played towards the other, but it's kind of that thinking that once you find the boomerang in the river, you're not going to be like, oh, that's it. That's why scales way of the hero, because boomerang doesn't lock all that much. So it's pretty likely at that point that, yeah, you have to keep going. So I think after finding the boomerang, if you're playing towards just the first scale being required and not the second, you've got to go straight to domain. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely a big risk if you don't even check that kind of stuff. And it was kind of an extended child three song. Uh, I wouldn't say extended. I think they both went adult around the 30, 35 minute mark. But granted, you can do three song in, you know, 20, 22 minutes, something like that, including Deku Tree. 
um, kind of attacking on 13 minutes. I would, I would argue that's kind of an extended child, at least for these tournament players. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Seth will move on to face Phoenix Feather in loser's bracket. That's uh, <laughs> it's the seventh seed in the tournament, uh, the round three of loser's bracket. So uh, looking forward to that match as well. I'm going to have a lot of banger seeds or matchups here. Um, yeah, look they're out coming at us. They are coming at us quite quickly from this point on, so uh, yeah, I expect a lot of recaps coming up and a lot of crazy races. Some of these are going to be absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. Alrighty, but for this week, we will move on to the main topic right now, which is metagaming decisions. So this was one that was requested. This was one that people asked us to talk about a bit, and I, I'll preface this by saying i don't think there's a hard and fast answer right there's no and I, part of that is that the nature of randomizer is that nothing is 100 percent consistent but part of it is that there's not that much that's been done about metagaming if it was completely understood people would change the way they act at which point you have to then adjust your metagaming so it's never going to be completely solved yeah, but there are like little as, habits you can kind of build on at least. Yeah, if like as much science went into this as, you know, has gone into openers like Three Song or figuring out Open Grotto to Owl and why it's good, um, I think we could maybe even evolve the uh, <laughs> the metagame at large <laughs> by metagaming. <laughs> the thing is, Which yeah, is... It, would just, it would just shift it though, because at that point then people go, oh, here's what you're expected to do according to metagaming rules, so I'm going to do this instead because nobody will predict that one. And yeah, it it's... just, like, the more you try to metagame, the more people can play around that read. Yeah, it's kind of a catch-22, but it also depends on where you kind of metagame too um right there's there is a world of difference between metagaming in a weekly versus a 1v1 metagaming as a high level player to a mid-level player to a like newer player the rules are completely different depending on a whole range of factors there we'll try and touch on as many as we can but a lot of it is just going to come down to if you're unsure, and I think this is, has to be the first big rule I will say with metagaming is if you're unsure and you're questioning the decision you're about to make, don't do it. Just just don't do it. Just play consistent. A lot of the time, I think people metagame themselves into a corner. It's tough to know where to begin with this topic just because it's so... I don't know stratospheric and and how like kind of ominous it can be for some players and then some players kind of just dabble in it a little bit more (laughs) um i think it it really depends on how you want to or where you where you are as a player i think is the bigger thing um Mm -hmm. if you're just starting and racing rando or just playing rando seeds in general just don't metagame just play your seed um I, i think you'll come to much better results as you know Focusing on logic more, focusing on your specific decisions and whether they're generally good or not, whether they're good or not in the seed I know, versus, yeah. I know quite a lot of people in the community play TCGs, and I know we both played or still play Magic. And hmm. that's kind of the comparison I will come to with that is metagaming in magic is a very similar thing right is when you're first learning to play you don't want to go for some off the wall strategy that expects you to know what everyone else is doing you want to go for something that's consistent and you can just focus on your own game plan and do your own thing and metagaming in otr is very similar you don't want to go for something that relies on knowing the habits of each of the top players or which plays are more popular than others at a given time You just want to practice your execution, your default strategies, and focus on your consistency before you try to get those little edges. Yeah, and to kind of add on to that, I think it's been said before in the podcast by a few different people, but if you focus more on the people that are around your skill level, generally, um, a kind of good indicator of this is the SRL leaderboard for Rando. It's not perfect, um, you know 
a lot of people refer to it as ego points rather than you know actual points on a leaderboard just because it's it's dealing with a randomizer and it's inherently random but uh, if you just take that as kind of a baseline though for people you know maybe like 25 people above you 25 people below you something like that just kind of to get a general feel of like who could be um, against you and your your skill level i think that's a good starting point and learning what those people specifically do in playing randomizer what do they do on average what kind of things do they always never do i think that's important to know if you really want to like start or have a, a good starting point for metagaming right i i think one of the biggest reasons for us doing this now is there are so many tournaments happening happening at the moment at all kinds of skill levels so there are people who are looking to beat very specific players in a lot of 1v1s. There are people who are looking to really step up their game. I think the focus is going to be more on 1v1s, but I do just want to note that for weeklies, there are still kind of two things that you have to take in mind there, which is are you looking to win or are you looking just to get a better finish than usual? And also adjusting to playing against a large field. So one thing that came up during season three qualifiers that really kind of resonated with me was ATZ talking about one of the qualifiers that had a mirror shield on big pose. And the reasoning for his decision to do big pose was he said, you are either going to go to spirit. You're going to go to spirit as your next play. You're either going to go there from the market or from Lake Hylia, depending on the order you do things in. So his reasoning was you do both. You 100% you have to do both at that point. Because if you do one and the other group does, like you, and the item is in the other section, you lose to that group. In this case, the mirror shield was on big pose. So he's saying if you do Lake Hylia, you lose to everybody who went from the market. Now, the flip side to that is if you're not confident in your abilities, you pick one and you stick with it. Because if you're not winning on execution, if you're not going for that consistency and you're not playing against the large field, so to speak, then you basically have to commit to your gambles. The other thing obviously being, if you're aiming to win in a weekly and you don't think you have the execution edge, don't go for the most consistent plays, but also don't go for the next most consistent play. Don't go for something that you know is like a top runner's favorite spot or anything. Go for something a little further down the list. I think the other big thing here, so tempering your plays to your expectations is a big thing here. You cannot take extreme risks if all you're expecting is a slightly better finish than before. Because the extreme risks, well, nine times out of ten, they don't pay off. That's what makes them a risk. So don't go, risks at that. Right, don't go dipping into a stone water if you're aiming to get a better finish than, like a slightly better finish than you've had before, or like beat somebody who's maybe slightly better than you most of the time. At that point, yeah, maybe stone water isn't the risk you're looking for. Maybe it's something like, I'm going to pick Ice Cavern over GTG. Or a good, I don't know, there's a lot of like talking about extreme risks and rando it's it's pretty much just going out of logic to a very large degree not not even like i don't know what i'd say not, not knowing where you are but things like rushing gcg out of logic with no items except for like maybe bomb bag and a bow but maybe not even a bow just going there with uh maybe a bomb bag so you can do hookshotless gcg at the 20 minute mark or something crazy like that just because he found wreck on minuet from early adult like that that's what we're kind of talking about as far as like extreme risks like i well also the the number of checks and the time commitment right is sure things like gtg are popular because it's 13 checks that take you yeah 10 minutes if that true um Something like Shadow is quite popular because it's 12 checks and a stone or a medallion on top of that. So you usually have this, it's either required or, well, it might be part of my AD, which, you know, if it's Saria's song, it's another two checks on top of that. 
there are that there's that time factor and that risk factor to consider something like a stone water is very slow for four checks that's a pretty big risk yeah or you know bomb the well with no explosives no zealous lullaby um and song of storms isn't way the hero like that's also kind of a good example of a maybe a bad risk to take Mm -hmm. isolating risk yeah isolating checks is definitely on the similar sort of level to doing kind of slow and inefficient things it's it's one thing to isolate checks but you know if you do bottom of the well without zelda's lullaby you you know you're probably going to get zelda's lullaby at some point in this seed maybe try and wait until you have it I mean, that's partly why we have all of these really popular openers, right? Um, they're kind of proven to be good. So going back to three song, uh, it's just it's just such a good thing to do. You're not isolating a lot of checks. A lot of times you get the items that you need for later within that route. So you, maybe you get Slingshot in, in a bomb bag before you go to Lost Woods, and you usually do that third out of getting opponents and then uh, Zelda's Lullaby at the start of it. Or you know clearing deku pretty early it is a very safe play just based on uh it's one of your best dungeons in the game doesn't require any keys doesn't require hardly any items um outside of sticks and nuts and you're gonna get those anyway i Um, think the opening routes are a very good way to approach this actually because yeah like you say those are kind of the consistent tried and tested opening routes you do your early adult you get a lot of items and usually you get two to three songs you do your three song you always get your three songs there and you get a lot of items and checks along the way you don't isolate much you could if you really wanted to do something along the lines of immediately go to cac do chickens wait for time of day do dampe digging and then save reset to do deku tree that's not very time efficient it's you know a very few checks for a lot of investment there's a reason people don't do that if there's a required item on chickens if that's your first hook shot great you've just won the seed like you've just got a huge lead over everyone else but the odds of that happening are ridiculously low yeah it's really you only see that in weeklies for a very good reason you have so many more players than the pickup races that happen every day during the week uh, it's 50 60 players sometimes even like during the qualification races you had upwards of 100 120 people in a race and yeah it's very scary there because you have so many more people just straight up um, it's much more likely that somebody finds the god route and sometimes that includes metagaming really extremely or in an extreme way so mm-hmm. it's difficult to really explain why and where and how it's good but i'm sure we can get to the bottom of it a little bit more here right whereas in a 1v1 i think there is that slight difference where sorry i'm gonna restart because i started like coughing yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh. and yeah that is one of the biggest differences to in a 1v1 where you're playing against one person so firstly, you don't need to take the big extravagant risks because, well, you probably don't need that much to go right in order to beat one player unless there is a big difference between, you know, if if you're a relatively new player playing against Duke, Marco. ATZ, Marco, like one of the rando gods, then maybe. But nine times out of ten, more, that's not going to be the case you don't need that much of a risk in order to beat your opponent yeah, if this is just a casual johnny versus bobby race like um does bobby really need to go balls out and to beat johnny like probably not you can probably, probably just make just... one call at the right time and you're, you're good yeah so yeah. i think a good example of this is my challenge cup race between zephyr and i um i watched I think the past 30 races that he did, um, it's a lot, but <laughs> it's, so I, I noticed actually that he does, I think, let's say that two weeks, three weeks ago, he really had a lot of varied openers 
So I was really kind of scratching my head going through. I was like, man, I don't know what he's going to do here versus me of all players. Because to kind of back that up, we've we've 1v1 to each other maybe half a dozen, a dozen times. Not a dozen times, but half a dozen times pretty recently. And just race each other uh, fairly consistently for the past month or two. So we both know how each other played. Um, so I went back and watched all the stuff just to get a general idea of like what I think he could do. Um, and I noticed in the past couple weeks preceding the ra- our race, um, he really just went open grotto owl every single race. And I, I kind of used that as a starting point. I was like, well, I'm just going to assume that it's that's what he's going to do and go into three songs. So my choice is doing three song or not doing three song. And so I, there I have to weigh the strengths and the disadvantages of doing three song. And in a tournament setting, ah, I'm already kind of 90% probably going to do three song anyway just because of the consistency. And I, I felt like we were pretty close execution-wise. I might have had a slight advantage. Um, tough to say exactly, but I, I felt pretty good on the execution side. So I figured, hey, I'm just going to jam three song unless I find enough money to do Deku. Then I'll just start with that, then do three song or, you know, what have you. Uh, if I find like a hook shot and a bow in Mitos, uh, okay, that's going to change some things. I'm just going to go adult at that point because I know I do early adult a lot more times than Zephyr. And if Zephyr takes the risk, this is also kind of what you have to consider when you metagame against one specific player and depending on how much you know them. Um, how 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 many times do I think Zephyr is actually going to do early and adult in that spot finding bow and hook shot in Mitos? You have to know that (laughs) and kind of weigh that versus knowing he's probably going to do three song anyway. So, um, so I chose to go three song and turns out we both had like the same exact opener and eh, it it kind of worked out anyway, but um, I think that's one of the big things in a one V one, you do have to know your opponent. It's a lot of it comes down to knowing your opponent in terms of their habits if they have habits and how strong those habits are there are definitely some people who i think play into this a bit who know that their opponent is the type of person to do research and they'll like try a couple of things out or they'll have like a couple of races slightly different like a few days before or whatever um i know we've done it in multi-world matches before where we tried something different like two days before a tournament match because if someone's coming in and looking at our videos, that's the one they're going to find. is our last practice before the match. And if they see us doing something different, they might make the wrong assumptions. Part of it is recognizing your role in the race as well. Are you the favorite? Are you the underdog? Are you, you know, better at rooting but worse at execution? Are you somebody who tilts easily? Are you somebody who is good at the early game but loses out a bit more in the mid to late game. Recognizing those kind of things both about your opponent and about yourself are really important because it tells you how much impact each stage of, like, each thing you find along the way will have. If you find, for example, you know, you're worse at execution but you're better at decision making, maybe just play to your consistent strengths Don't worry about your execution at that stage and just play your consistent routing because that's your biggest strength and you should probably just play into that. If you're the other way around, if you're finding your execution is better but you're losing out on decision making, maybe go for a decision that you normally wouldn't in the race. And if it backfires, you probably lost nothing. But if it works out in your favor great like you've just played into you've played around your weaknesses effectively and i think that's a big part of metagaming is people see it as reading your opponent and it's also about recognizing your role in that race yeah you have to know if you're a johnny versus bobby or a marco versus you're gonna lose situation (laughs) like (laughs) you know it's it's important to know and I, i think it'll address a lot of the the kind of points that we've we've uh tried to make here with metagaming um it's it's a lot it's a lot more about the small differences i would say than it is about very large differences overall Mm -hmm. um 
But again, you can get away with a lot of stuff in 1v1s that you could never do in weeklies if you want any sort of consistency in playing rando. Right, and I, I think some people try and take the metagaming a step too far. That is a trap that a lot of people will walk into. Um, you'll see people who... The example that's coming to mind here is uh, Solly versus Cola earlier in the Season 3 tournament where Solly was ahead for pretty much the entire race but just refused to do bottom of the well, presumably on a metagame call of if something's in bottom of the well, Cola's already done it and I've already lost. Sure. But the, the thing is, you've got to recognise at that stage that not only is it, like we were saying about, you know, do you have the execution or the routing edge or whatever, in that situation, it might be completely reasonable to go, my opponent has the edge in this area or whatever, so they should be ahead given how the seed has played out. But that doesn't make it guaranteed. And it's recognizing how far things have to have gone before you start to make those metagame calls. I think that's kind of the role analysis side of it. Is It's not just a question of what role do I play in this seed and what role does my opponent play, but also that question of how much do I have to play into that before I get to the point of metagaming. Metagaming should never be your first resort, unless there's a huge difference in skill level in tons of different areas metagaming should never be the default option it should always be like a okay i think i'm going to lose this unless i do something different it's kind of why it's easy to approach openers this way is because that's the one thing that you can have the most control over matters probably the least in races honestly yeah um, yeah you, you can pick whatever opener pretty much and it'll work about as well as another one unless you find a specific item in one that the other won't find until 10-15 minutes later it might be able to open a door for you to go a, a, a completely different direction that they don't even know that door exists at that point so like finding hookshot in uh let's just say domain skull kid yeah, skull kid, <laughs> skull kid yeah. with Darsarius oh. on windmill the classic yeah, or just uh, Mirror Shield on Skull Kid, you know, just as an example. <laughs> <laughs> Who would ever have that? Yeah, um, so it's it's tough, but um, I think it's a lot easier to do that versus later in the seed, even a weekly setting, 1v1s, it doesn't matter where you do this. If you're like extreme late game metagaming based off solely finish times, I, I think that's just bad overall. Um, I think you should just focus on the seed and focus on the logic personally. Um, mm -hmm. So if you see player X has finished in the IRC or race time or whatever you're using to race, okay, player X just finished. Where am I in the seed? You kind of have to just ask yourself that question. And if you're just so late in the seed and you're only missing one item, like at that point... I don't know. It's kind of a coin flip, but it, it really depends on who player X is. Is it Marco? Is it Johnny? Is it Bobby? Is it um, somebody that's really close to you? Is it somebody that's beneath, not beneath you, but uh, in terms, you know, maybe you're, you're favored as the player. Um, it really depends on who player X is, I, I think. Mm -hmm. Even then, um, you don't know what they did. If it's three hours, if it's like a three and a half hour finish and you're missing three medallions. Like uh, I'm not sure metagaming is the right call there. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> yeah, maybe a bigger issue. Um, but yeah, saying about just... the players playing into it as well is part of it is knowing those habits of the players. So there are some people that I will metagame with, and it's knowing when to metagame. So there's a couple of players that really stand out for this at the top. There's some that stand out in like the kind of middle of the pack. At the top, the two most obvious, I think, are Duke and Nephistos, where Duke had a reputation for a while of always going to Deep Fire, and Nephistos had a reputation for going to Ice Cavern. And if I get to the end of a seed and I see one of those two has finished in first, and I've, you know, I've just finished up my fifth medallion and one item from Go Mode, I've not touched my side dungeons, I will still go and do GTG and Bottom of the Well before I go into Fire or Ice Cavern. Because they're better plays. And as much as these players have their habits, not to the extent that they'll do something like Deep Fire over 
GTG, right? Mm-hmm. So I think part of it is knowing those habits, but also knowing when those people will break those habits and kind of weighing up the two against each other and weighing up how far behind you feel. If you've had a disaster of a seed where you, I don't know, last locationed your hookshot on 10 skulls, then maybe you take that risk because it's the only way you're going to salvage something from this. But if it's one where, you know, oh, I didn't dip stone fire up to the upper boulder maze to find my, I don't know, strength one. Well, most people won't have done that. I guess it can't be last location if it's up there, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And yeah, you just never know 100% what somebody's going to do in a seed. Um, I mean, it's impossible to know. I think it's really a question of weighing odds. And it's kind of a callback to TCGs, you know, magic we both played. Um, is it a 60-40 in the situation or is it an 80-20? Or is it a 90-10, like, in terms of percentages? Uh, how likely somebody is to do something? Uh, depending on the situation, what factors are in play? What's way of the hero? What's barren? In what order did you get the items? Like, there, there's so many data points that you can use and think about. That a lot of players they met a game with kind of kind of like just a feeling you know how likely do you think this is going to happen well probably not based on all of this and my experiences playing rando but when do you break that uh, it's hard to know for sure um, right i like saying about knowing wh- how likely are these players to go into those habits and break them i'm going to call out one very particular player here and i uh-oh. Not in a bad way. No, not in a bad way, but I'm going to reveal the like, you know, the habit here. Daisy Fan. There was a period of time where Daisy Fan won a weekly by about 20 minutes, won a race midweek by like an hour over the next closest person. It was like just absolutely destroyed two or three races in a week. Every single one of them deep fire every single one and it got to the point where people were like talking about a seed afterwards and daisy would have had quite a bad performance in it and they'd come in afterwards and be like oh yeah i I, you know i didn't do ice cavern until late i'd cleared fire i'd cleared gtg and we're like why is fire the first one that comes up here (laughs) and it's it's that kind of thing it's like players have those habits and sometimes they will stick to them rigidly and you can if you see Marco finish, it can be pretty much anywhere based on the finishing times, to be honest. But you can be reasonably sure that Marco will have just done the most consistent, safe, like, high-density location at any given option. Yeah, or, or one for me, I don't do chickens anymore. Um, pretty much straight up, I don't really do them. It's not really worth doing as a check, in my opinion. Um, even when Kank is way the hero, most of the time I will not do chicken still, unless it yeah. is double way the hero. Like ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent of seeds, I won't. Yeah, it just I'm over it. I don't think it's that bad of a check, but at the same time, I could be doing a lot of different things. I could be routing in different directions, um, and that's good to know. Just as kind of a, a baseline for some players is, do they do chickens or not? Because that is mm-hmm. a three-minute time save you can have versus somebody who always does it. Right. Uh, my my thinking on that is that my execution is generally, I think, quite good, but not good enough for me to spend three minutes on one check. Yeah. So most of the time I'll skip chickens. Every now and then, maybe something pushes me towards it, or maybe I'm just like, all right, no, I feel like I kind of have to be thorough right now. But yeah, people have those habits. And yeah, chickens is a big one. If you see most of the top runners will do it because they know their execution is good enough that they can afford to be thorough. And that just goes back to knowing your role in the matchup, Um, whether it's you versus your friend or you versus uh, 58 strangers. you have to know how good you are to begin with what you kind of do in general and then what you can do to improve that and i think if you're the sort of player that comes in the bottom half of weeklies maybe always last places pick up races and you're wondering 
how can I metagame efficiently or effectively in a situation? I think the best thing to do is to hold up a mirror and look at yourself <laughs> and to examine, not, maybe not literally, but examine your, your play styles and uh, more or less don't metagame is, is kind of what we're kind of getting at here. It, it's more of just a, a case of, you know, very small um, optimizations that you can have versus uh, your opponents in, in rando. I think there are times where it's worth metagaming, but people generally are either completely against it or too willing to do it. And there's like a, a sweet spot in the middle that very few people I think hit. I probably yeah. don't because I generally try and avoid metagaming at this point because I made too many impulsive decisions with it. I think one of the biggest things is firstly recognizing which mistakes are allowed in your metagaming as well so many people take really risky plays as like oh i have to metagame i've played this seed terribly so i have to make a weird decision um okay now i'm actually properly going to call someone out on this sponge <laughs> is the worst person i have seen for this i me and sponge are very similar in the way we race in a lot of ways and this is something that i got myself out of the habit of and i think sponge is still in it which is every execution mistake every tiny thing that goes wrong it weighs on you and you it builds up and it builds up and it builds up to the point that you're like i must be so far behind i have to do something completely wild and nine times out of ten your opponents are also going to be making mistakes like it is very rare that even the top players will play a perfect game you're allowed some mistakes. It's recognizing the difference between which mistakes matter and which ones don't. Maybe if you, I don't know, jumped, accidentally voided out at the end of Shadow shooting the bomb flowers, forgetting that you'd come from the boat and not the maze, and you have to redo the boat ride. That's a pretty costly mistake. Maybe at that point you start taking bigger risks. You just threw away two to three minutes or whatever. But if it's like, oh yeah, I I took two hits against the Stalfos and had to play safe for like 20 seconds. So what? Everyone's going to have like 10, 20 seconds of time loss in there somewhere. I think it's also worth mentioning that once you commit to risks, um, you have to stay committed to risks. And you kind of see this in, in 1v1s more so than weeklies. But it's important to know overall. So... Don't bail on stone dungeons early because it hasn't paid off um, and maybe there was an item late in it. Um, follow item change to the end. So don't bail on, um, let's say, bombs that led to scale. And you're like, oh, well, shit. Like this, this isn't like worth the risk in following anymore. So I'm going to go adult now. And you kind of saw that in one of the, the season three matchups here with uh, Zeph Namaha. Um, Zeph just followed the scale because it was way of the hero and it, and it paid off with, with two items uh, ahead of him, uh, of Namaha here. So uh, I think even in some of the other ones, uh, you also had that a little bit. I was going to say there's one race where that came up uh, quite a while back at this point. It was one of what the hell's matches. And they ended up both going there eventually anyway because it turned out it was... Uh, Twin Rover had the required item, but what the hells had followed the fire all the way through, found the mirror shield. Spirit was out of logic at that point, and he just, that was it. it. Like, just left and dropped it. And it's, if you're playing consistency at that point, fine. If that was a decision to take this risk, at that point, maybe you follow that mirror shield because you've kind of risked enough going out of your way to get it. You should risk that extra step more pushing it a bit further i think it was what the hell's versus glitchy i thought that was those shades of the atz matchup um, <laughs> there, there were a lot of twin rovers around that point yeah yeah that is true that is true twin rover is such a pain in the ass yeah like um, if you if you find your like ruto's letter in deep fire and jabu's a stone and fire's a stone go to ice cavern like, yeah. don't just stop because you found the wrong thing and you're like, oh, that's not what I need. Try something different. Like, follow, follow the chain. Keep going. Because if it is that, 
nobody's going to have finished anyway. Yeah, it depends on what, what point in the CD2 that you found that, but I think following items is just one of the better things you could be doing within seeds in general. <laughs> um, it, it'll just lead to more items, period, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just generally how a lot of players follow the logic, too, is, is that that's what you do, is each item opens up a, a whole new set of checks, and you have to find another item within that set that leads to another sphere where there are more checks. So I think in general, yeah, it's it's a very good idea. I think another thing that comes up as well is when you don't have those item chains and you have like, you know, you've just like the situation earlier, you finished your fifth medallion, you're missing, I don't know, the boomerang, because it's always the boomerang on the long shot. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden yeah, sure. you've got GTG open, you've got bottom of the well open, you've got ice cavern, you've got stone fire you've got stone spirit all of these different plays come up and you'll likely be drawn to one above the rest but it's worth knowing at that point which ones are the statistically best to worst and then kind of making your risks based on that like tier system if you think you have the best execution you're going to go for the best play Nine times out of ten, I think, in that situation, the best play is something along the lines of Spirit into GTG or GTG into Spirit. So maybe, if you're like, my execution's good, but it's not that good, you go one step down and you go to bottom of the well. And then you're like, well, I'm like a solidly mid-tier player. I don't think I'm going to beat the people who are going to bottom of the well. So you go to Ice Cavern. And then you get to the point where if you're, you know, a relatively new player or like you know, you're averaging like four to five hours and you're trying to beat people who are averaging two to three hours. Go for something like, you know, deep stone fire or stone water. At that point, if your aim is to win, go for the absolute most like off the deep end risks you can. But it's figuring out which risk you have to play to to beat the people you're aiming to beat. Yeah. A risk isn't just the best versus the worst option, ignoring everything in between, which I think is how too many people view it. It's the collection of data points, everything that makes up a seed, even um, just pretty pretty much everything about it, you, you have to take into consideration. So I think that's part of why that metagaming is just so hard, so difficult to do effectively, because there's just so much data in every seed that you a normal human being it's really hard for them to process all of that on the fly at that mm -hmm. um to try and beat other people that are also doing that at the same time yeah and i think that is a big part of this as well is it's so difficult to metagame kind of spur of the moment that unless you're going through like i don't know your fifth medallion is a barren forest then maybe you've got time to think about okay Nobody's finished yet at this point, but if it was here, they probably would have. So maybe I don't go for this and you can start figuring out those points. Nine times out of ten, you're not going to have that time to spare. So just pick your first, second, third option. Go for one of them. Don't don't think about it too far, too much further most of the time. I think the other thing that's worth touching on here is... Uh, when you do have the finishing times because most of the time in a weekly the people who are trying to make these metagame calls are doing it based on the finishing times they've seen and i think people read into that a little too much sometimes so the big example for this one is one of my favorite clips on the zsr channel um which was a restream that had i know it was chimp was responsible for the clip in question <laughs> you know the one you know the one i mean <laughs> yeah um it was like marco finishes in first and it's like two hours 17 minutes or something and chimp's feeling incredible at this point like he's on the way up to ganon it's like 218 marco's just finished it's like all right fine i can get a good finish and get a good finish goes up there and it's your light arrows are in gerudo fortress which is horseback archery with opponents on ad and so many people at that point were like, 
oh, it can't be AD because Marco finished in 217. Time to go Fortress. Yeah, there's... And... <laughs> it was a it was all dungeons and i think people try to read too much into the finishing times a lot of the time without realizing just who they're up against in some of the situations um you know if somebody like marco or what the hells finishes sub two yeah that still might mean gtg that still might mean bottom of the well Like, if you're seeing people... If you start to see four or five finishes coming in one after the other, maybe just go for your, like, most consistent or second best option straight away. But don't start making assumptions and metagaming based on finishing times just because... And I guess in that situation it was the other way around where everyone assumed it wasn't AD when it was. But if your first finish isn't until... 2 hours 40, 2 hours 50, that still might not be AD. That might just be that someone went to GTG first, and then Bottom of the World second, and then Ice Cannon third, and then one stone dungeon, and then another stone dungeon, and it was in the third stone dungeon. Maybe they played towards the AD, and it just ended up basically being all dungeons, because they did them in the worst possible order without realising. Mm -hmm. I think it's another thing to mentioned with finishing times is groups of finishing times because it, it almost always happens or it happens to be the case that sure you have your finish time and a couple of people afterwards and the gap between first and second you can kind of take into consideration sometimes if it's large enough so like 20 minutes between first and second and then maybe also a large gap between second and third mm -hmm. but almost always you have like between five and ten players finish in you know 10 minutes of each other then you have the next 10 minutes you have maybe 15 people and then after that, you have like 20 people finish in 30 minutes. So again, it kind of goes back to knowing your role, knowing who you are as a player in relation to everyone and using that information as effectively as you can. Mm -hmm. And that will do it for this week on the podcast. I uh, just want to mention to everyone listening still that uh, we are looking for feedback still. So if you would like message us on discord um any of us that are hosts on the podcast so uh, emo soda yoshi riley even shadow uh doctor um message us give us some feedback we always enjoy reading it and uh improving as a result and uh make sure to check out the official discord channel on the ootr discord um and yeah let us know what you think for the podcast I'm Imosoto. I'm Yoshikian. And we'll see you all next time on the Gossip Stone Podcast. <laughs>